Welcome back, Rebels. We've spent a lot of time recently during access events uh, in the DMs on social media. And also I've been seeing lots of posts from other people that we follow. So um, Mood Good Jewelry had a post on this recently. Um, Holly Tucker had a post on this recently of everyone being concerned about social media metrics, mm -hmm. um, social media, growing a following, getting engagement and all of that sort of stuff. And I think that... We talk about it a lot and I think I need to, I think we need to talk about something else. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is the work, like worrying more about the work and the content stroke, like bunny ears, yeah. the content, that is just the side effect of doing the work. I think that currently everyone is looking for this like quick fix of 100%, yeah. how to grow at social media. And they're, they're not thinking about how can I spend my day doing the shit that I really love? Oh, 100%. And I think like, I've been thinking about this so much recently. And I was like, if you want to grow on social media, all you need to do is create work that's good enough that people want to share with people who would potentially buy your work. Yeah, I think that is the most simple way to break it down. And I think if that's not currently happening, if people aren't sharing your work, then there's a good chance that the not it's, it's not because your social media tactics aren't amazing. It's probably because the work isn't shareable. Well, the work isn't to a level that people want to share it with other people to be like, wow, look how good this is. And I think it's that that you kind of really need to think about. It's like if, you're, if that's not happening currently, maybe it's not how good you are on social media. Maybe it's that the work's not at the level yet that people want to share it. So I think so much you said for just putting in the work and putting in the time and the patience and the years that it's going to take to actually get so good that people will share you. In 2020, I painted 98 paintings and I feel like I'm a better artist now, but I can't look back on one painting and go, that was the one where all of a sudden I got, I got better. It's just, it's just the act of repetition of doing something over and over again, that you, that you gain those skills and that you get that muscle memory and that just yeah. things start to click for you. Um, and let's not forget, like I have been painting for the last 20 years, like I started in the year 2000. So um, whilst my growth on social media might look really fast, and it, I mean, it was, it, it sort of came out of nowhere, but there was a number of sort of magical things that happened with that in that I was really lucky. I'd experimented on TikTok and all of a sudden that, that coincided with a time where reels came out and they're really pushing reels and on a side note i still see like listeners of this show people that i know listen they're up uploading igtv videos like like uploading a post as a video instead of using reels and it's like dude just oh use yeah reels. like if it's 15 to 30 seconds use a bloody reel like i see that yeah, all the time or, or if it's or if it's 60 seconds cut it down to 30 seconds like, yeah, be, yeah, yeah. like be creative in your editing i think that's a good, really good point actually yeah because quite often what can be said in well, what you've probably made into a minute video can easily be cut down into 15 seconds just making it more of a quick snappy kind of format if it's a longer video for say like five ten minutes and they've really gone deep on a topic then what i would probably do with that is post the igtv but then also just do a reels version of it and see what you can consolidate that down to so it's often quite interesting when you do give yourself that shorter time frame and you try and fit everything into it actually it can work really well and sometimes get your point across like just the same way that those longer videos do yeah so there's i mean we can talk techniques yeah, and tactics yeah. all, all day long but at the end of the day it comes down to the work um, and there's there's things that I could do that I'd know would explode my account. Like I, if I started all of a sudden uh, incorporating Simpsons characters into my work, then like that would do really well because nostalgia hits a button, it, it people share it, it's yeah. universally liked. 
um, but that's not the direction that I want to go with my art. And because the growth of my account isn't the most important thing to me, I'm not going to do those things because to me, the most important thing is the work. And it's like, I think I said this on uh, when you interviewed me, but that the, there has to be something more if I'm producing a 10 to 15 second video for Instagram, but it's taking me seven hours to make their paint that painting. There has to be the love of the craft wrapped up in that. Otherwise, I'd go insane. If you did just paint Simpsons characters or kind of popular culture characters, there would be growth there. But then are you growing because people like those characters or are you growing because they like your work? And I think where you really win is where people like your work for what it is rather than the other little things you try to pull into it, which I think like can be a good little like growth hack if you just want the numbers. But I think if you want to grow a really loyal audience, you want to kind of put out work that is yours and it's characters that you've created. It's things that when you look at that, you don't think about someone else's creation. You think about your creation. It all comes down to, I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier, making making shareable content is, is always going to win. But at the end of the day, like what is a win? When you're laying on your deathbed and you go, well, I had 100,000 Instagram followers and my engagement rate was very high. It's like at the end of the day, that means nothing. Um, I, I, I think, I suppose if you are making amazing work, then it can be frustrating that you're like, oh, my engagement's low or no one's really seeing this. Um, that that really can be frustrating. But at the end of the day, I think the, the work is the most important thing. And rather than, for me, I, I, like I'm not gonna be a slave to my phone. I don't, I don't enjoy working on Instagram, it's work. Like I, that's not part of my job description. I don't want to work on Instagram. I just wanna do paintings. And when I do paintings, I post them on Instagram, which allows me to, make some money and and it does well for me but at the end of the day if instagram didn't exist would i still be making making the paintings yeah i would i probably just wouldn't be making time-lapse videos of them it's like that's the extra bit that i do because i know i have to document it and and really on my account i was getting opportunities from like when i had a couple of thousand followers like that was when i was starting to get inquiries for canvas commissions and all of that sort of stuff was starting to come through when we think about like the brands that we've worked with they're not working with us because of the number that's attached to our account they're coming to work with us because of the work and i think that is what's important it's like yes you might get some form of instagram promotional campaign by having a big instagram following but if you want to actually work with a brand and have people who respect your work and want to use that work because the quality of it's there that will still happen like whether you've got 100,000 followers or 2,000 followers. Yeah, and let's take Instagram off a pedestal. I know we we talk about it a lot on this show because it's a, kind of our main main platform, but there's people having great success, living very successful lives who have got big followings on Pinterest or um, there's, a, there's a new app called Daisy that people are using. Um, wherever there's attention, Reddit, like you could have a, you could ha make your career on Reddit. Easily you could do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can make your career on LinkedIn. There are so many ways of putting out there. And if you find instagram depressing and over oversaturated and there's loads of people doing the same thing that you do already on that platform then go somewhere else yeah but like talking about being depressing now like i was having a call with a listener this week and i like they were saying that they weren't enjoying instagram so much and i was like well, what kind of stuff are you putting on instagram they're like oh just all the things that you have to do to grow a following and i was like well just stop doing that post the things you like on Instagram, post the things that you would do if there wasn't an audience there. Imagine you're just using it as a way to document 
for your own personal like to be able to look back on your journey and look where you've come from I think that's probably a better way to use it rather than thinking about oh well I know if I put this kind of post up it's going to get this kind of response it's like just put like document your journey for yourself so you can go back and look exactly how you've got there because I think you're going to do a lot better doing that than you are by kind of going down these routes of just like quick hacks and like trying to copy what other people are doing yeah I'm I'm not saying don't grow a massive Instagram following it's been very useful for me having done that um it's it's a great way of getting your work out there what I'm saying is don't get depressed over it um don't spend so much time in getting really really frustrated like if it's if it's not growing then you're probably doing something wrong yeah. um, and your your work's probably not there yet so and and that's fine like um I, I think just putting your head down and focusing on the work. I mean, I didn't expect my account to grow. I didn't think it would. I, I set myself an outlandish goal of getting to 10K in a year and I actually got to 50K. But as I've said, that there was a lot of luck and different things involved with that. But but like, it was actually unrealistic for me to get to 10K. Um, but I, because I, I had no idea that people were going to react to my work the way that they did. I just happened to stumble across something but like maybe you haven't stumbled across your thing yet and yeah. like we said i've been painting for 20 years i've been painting with neon paint for like two years it's like it's yeah. like all of a sudden i found something that i really enjoyed that also happened to be something that other people liked and that's that's really lucky there's definitely that frustration that people have about they've seen other people grow really quickly and then there's a the frustration of like well why aren't i growing and like you i feel like you can't be this slave to this algorithm you have to just put in the work and get better because it's like at the end of the day if well if i say if like when instagram disappears like we're not going to be on instagram for the next 40 years like we just won't be there'll be other things that come along that kind of take people's attention there'll be new better platforms that are made and but one th but one thing we will always have is our talent and I think that's one thing that we can always continue to work on. It's like you can spend all your time just spending, like looking at different how to grow on Instagram, how to grow on Pinterest, how to grow on TikTok. You can do all of that or you can actually spend time just getting better because if you get really good, people will pay you for what you do. That is as simple as that. It's like once you are really good, people will come to you and pay you for it because it will be so good that people need it because they will realize, well, actually, if I give you money for this, I get your artwork I can probably make money from that too selling whatever thing that they're selling and I think that's the key at the end of the day it's by getting as good as possible and just acknowledging that if you aren't getting people come to you already to be like can I pay you to do this then maybe you're not quite there yet and maybe the work does need to be put in and maybe you do need to grow find some different people to follow who you can use as inspiration and then just continue to hone your craft and get better and better and better and then even just trying different creative endeavors as well. I think like you can learn so much from kind of just trying something else for a little bit of time, even if that's kind of like going to a pottery class, like you might find that something you learn in that can be taken back to improve what you're doing or just a technique that they've used there. You could bring back and that can help what you're doing or just like find whoever is the best at what you do and just look at exactly what they're doing and try and replicate it because in doing that, you will get better getting better is something that's going to take a long time it's going to take a lot of hard work and especially with today of like seeing people just blow up and kind of growing really fast really quickly I think we forget that actually 
the like that is going to happen to a few lucky people like a few lucky people win the lottery every week but it's like if we spent our whole lives just betting on we're going to win the lottery we're probably going to be left very disappointed whereas actually if we just invest constantly in ourselves then down the road we're probably going to be in a better situation than that person who won the lottery anyway because we've built it up over time and we've made it sustainable we've made it something that can last so yeah so go out there put the work in and don't expect it to come overnight because it won't but you will get better and you are investing in yourself i think that's why we enjoy starting new businesses is because we choose to do a business that's around something that we have a lot of knowledge in that we we know we're good at and then our only challenge from that point on is okay let's find the clients that's literally it like we we set we set it up and then we're like okay now who can we get that's that's going to want to pay for this service yeah and i think as soon as you know you have a product that is good enough that people are already asking for then it is just about finding the clients but you need to be at that level where people are already asking you to pay you for it i think that's the point when you start looking for clients when you're at that level already um but i think what too many people do is they don't hit that level of quality yet and then they start to go and look for clients and then get frustrated when the clients don't come, the followers don't come and they're like, well, I'm just going to give up. Where actually, if you just, yeah, invest in yourself a bit more, get better, people will come to you to ask for it. And then at that stage, you can realize, okay, well, now I can scale this and start attracting more people. Yeah, so we went on a on a bit of a journey with this intro. That wasn't, um, I don't think that was where either of us planned this to go. Um, I think to to bring it back around to the initial point is, Try and forget about the about the metrics. Try not to get too bogged down with the metrics, with the analytics, with the algorithms and all of that sort of stuff, especially if it's bringing you down. Um, focus on the work because that's supposed to be the fun part. The fun part is the work. And then just, I mean, do what I do. Like, don't, don't spend loads of time on social media. Just like chuck it out there. Like, here it is. Some paintings do really well. Some of them don't that's fine don't live or die by it like if you don't get many likes for one post you've got another post coming up the next day like you could just make new work do new stuff because we've been hearing from people who this is really bogging them down um and i think that's there's so much in work like in your work life that you can get bogged down with let's not make social media one of those things because that's like that doesn't have to be one of the stresses. Um, and to segue that into into this week's guest, I mean, Kate Sevier has has written a whole book on all of the various things that that can bog us down um, when it comes to work because there are so many. Yeah, this is a really interesting chat with Kate. It's the second time we've had her on the show, and I just loved this conversation so much. Like it went in a really different way to how I expected it to. And there's so much to take away from this about happiness and about how to actually like focus yourself in your life and the things to worry about the things not to worry about and yeah it ties nicely into what we were talking about just there but it's like following happiness is the most important thing and i think that's one thing that if you're feeling a bit unhappy in where you currently are there's a lot that could be taken from this episode and kate's book as well because it's like just helping you like get through the working week making sure that you're like so much of your life is at work so how can we make this as happy and as good as possible uh, so yeah, super positive episode. Like I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy this one. Yeah, always lovely to talk to our mate Kate. She is a journalist. She's a writer, and her book is called "How to Work Without Losing Your Mind," um, and it's available in all good bookshops now. So enjoy this chat with Kate Sevilla. Hi, Kate. Hi. 
welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. It's always nice to say welcome back when you get a, re- a returning guest. Is, yeah. And we've uh, we've just been on your podcast. How is that whole experience going for you? Yeah, it's been really interesting because we started, I mean, I started talking about it. I mean, I think I talked to you guys about it back when I was on your show. Yeah. Um, all many many lockdowns and years ago um (laughs) and it's been i mean i knew it would be a lot of work but um i think trying to do that while uh publish a book at the same time and then also i was in the middle of a house move uh that was a lot of stuff (laughs) to try to balance but i the actual making of the podcast itself and and the interviews and talking to people has been uh, really, really satisfying and and enjoyable. Um, It's just been all the other stuff that's been kind of happening around it that's been like, okay, this is a giant admin scheduling challenge, but I'm here for it. (laughs) I think so much of your career has been interviewing people, if it's research for books, or if it's like doing an article for BuzzFeed, or like throughout your career, you have been doing a lot of interviewing and I know when we first spoke so we probably did our first episode with you like a year and a half ago yeah. something like that yeah, season one. and when we spoke to you then we were talking about podcasting it, it wasn't like you've got to learn all of these skills it's like literally you've just got to kind of record the thing that you're doing already so it's, I guess it was probably quite an easy transition for you yeah it was um it was interesting I think I accidentally did started interviewing people <laughs> Like it's I think my first interview that I ever did kind of like as a journalist was actually with um, Jackie Smith, who I think was home secretary at the time. Like, why would that be my first interview? And it was probably I mean, I can tell it was not very good. Um, I think my questioning probably needed a little bit of work. But um, yeah, I I found it different, I think, when you have all this kind of you're doing it remotely, obviously, because of yeah. uh, this wonderful pandemic that we're in. So I think that was something that I hadn't accounted for. So like doing Soho Radio uh, once a month with Sally Hughes, I got even more into the kind of rhythm of doing it and doing it for radio and having to mind uh, your kind of mms and ahs, but not too much. I don't know. It's it's like a different kind of thing. And then doing that remotely uh, for a podcast where I'm really responsible for carrying the conversation. Um, I think, as as you said, I've been doing it for a, a long time in different forms. So I think it was a lovely kind of culmination of of all the kind of interviewing that I've been doing throughout my career. But I wish I was in the same room as people. <laughs> what would your advice be to someone who is deciding to start a podcast now? And obviously you can't go and do it in person because of the way that the current climate is. Like you've started within the lockdown world like what would your advice be to anyone else out there yeah I think it's a combination of tech (laughs) the tech that you choose and also just the planning like when I first told Penguin that I wanted to do a podcast with my book they were like that's cool um you realize you're gonna have to like do it (laughs) like it's not just an idea you don't you know are you going to be consistent with it is this actually something that you want to put a lot of effort into because as you guys know it's actually quite a lot of effort um if if you would like for people to actually 
listen. And some people aren't that bothered. You might, I think you need to decide, okay, what do I want from this? And why am I doing it? Um, so, okay, do I care about, you know, X amount of listeners? Am I going to try to get this monetized? And I think that can inform the kind of route that you go down, how much money you want to spend on equipment. Um, but I think for anyone starting it in a pandemic, I think, you know, it, doing your research with the different platforms that are available to you. Um, in doing publicity for this book, I've done a lot of Zoom uh, podcast recordings. I use Squadcast. I've used Skype for some interviews. It just kind of depends. Um, so there's lots of options available to you. But I think kind of what you're what you're hoping to get out of it is a is a really big part of those decisions, actually. Yours is called The Heart of It. What What was your why? I, so as you mentioned, I did a lot of interviews for, for the book. And I wanted to speak to people about their jobs, but not actually about their jobs. I found that when I was interviewing people uh, for the book, I, I always kind of kept coming back to like, like the hows <laughs> and the whys, like their motivations. And that was actually the part that I was the most interested in. So for this for this podcast, I knew that I wanted it to be related to careers and working, but I didn't want it to be uh, just the kind of usual, tell us, tell us your career trajectory and how other people can hope to get as successful as you kind of thing. More so like, okay, but like, what's the thing that doesn't have a job title that has been kind of like running throughout your entire career. Like, why do you do stuff? So for me, I just kind of, I want to unveil why it is that people do the things that they do. Cause I think that that helps inform other people's decisions and can show people that there's different ways of doing things and different reasons for doing things. Um, so for, I guess for me, I'm always trying to uh, help people feel seen and and understood and so this is a little attempted at doing that and have you noticed any common threads between the guests in their whys and things that you've discovered everyone has been different so far it's so interesting i thought that i would get a lot of the it's my children <laughs> or <laughs> or every person has been different and some people haven't known they've gone you know i don't actually know what what drives me but i know it doesn't drive me and it's not yeah. this, and it's not this, and it's not this. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because it's like we're in a world where Simon Sinek's start with why is just plastered everywhere. And it seems to be, especially well, in our space anyway, like a lot of people talk about it. Yeah. Like a lot of you should always start with why. Whereas when I think back to like when we first started our business, we were just kind of like, well, we just want to go and do this thing. There wasn't this yeah. really kind of like big, deep Strategic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think if you are struggling with like what your why is like don't you don't have to wait until you found that to start it's subconscious a lot of times and i think it's easier once you're years into your career to sometimes identify a why that you weren't even aware of because when you start out to do something it, it they're so disconnected because you're at the very beginning so it might not mm. what you're doing right at that moment might, might not directly reflect what it is that you're ultimately hoping for um but it, it but it is in there um i think that it can be i think it's good to always question yourself and to go well why am why am i doing this what do i really want from this but i think you're kind of big why your initial why can just be like well i need some money <laughs> 
I need a job. I need to pay my rent. And we have all been there, right? Um, But I think as, you know, you start to switch jobs and if you're able to kind of shift less from uh, immediate needs to more kind of overall motivation, uh, you'll see that pattern developing. But yeah, I think right off the bat being like, what's your why when you're like, good God, I just need to pay my rent. Those things are at odds. If you think of like the hierarchy of needs, like I suppose it depends on how far up that ladder you are, depending on what your why is going to be. Because it's like, if you have a really low income, maybe supporting your family is going to be that first thing you need to do. You need to get a roof over your head. You need to get to that stage before you can even start to have like a, I want to change the world with this. So yeah, I think, yeah, it is important to just start doing whatever you, you need personally rather than maybe thinking about this huge thing that's like life-changing but world-changing yeah that can be really daunting and I think um and I write about this in the book when you're looking for a new job uh, there are lots of different elements and you need to understand like what your bottom line is because that's a different kind of why okay why would I take this job well because I need to put food on the table or I'm looking to uh, get to this job eventually and I need a job like this in order to get there and I'm aware of that or I think it's interesting and fun and all I really care about is enjoying what it is that I do and I don't care if there's not a pattern to it that's also fine there's lots of different trajectories I think your why can mean different things to different people at different stages of, of their career yeah because I think in the book or it's something I heard you say anyway is like success is not one thing no it's really not and it looks different for everybody and it will look different to you at different points of your life I think uh, acknowledging that there are different ways of doing things and feeling good about what it is that you're doing and that that looks different for everyone and that we're allowed to evolve and we're allowed to change our minds uh, that's important because a lot of times I think people can get stuck in this but I'm supposed to be doing this. And it's like, well, do you still even want that? Yeah, I think we talk about that a lot on the show where people have this vision, like from when you're like kids, I suppose, of I'm going to have a big house, I'm going to have a family, I'm going to live in somewhere like this. And these are the things I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to holiday. And you have this idea. And I think quite often that isn't your idea. It's a kind of a vision that's been kind of put on you by society and like what the media would portray as being the perfect thing. And then I feel like a lot of people make decisions in their life to lead to something that they don't actually want, like kind of getting a job in certain places or heading down a certain career route that maybe isn't actually what they want if they ask themselves, but that's what they know they need to do to be able to go and afford or live a life that looks like that. And a lot of times that's that's kind of what happens and you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. You you have this kind of fixed, well, this is what success looks like. This is what security feels like. This is what I should be doing. This is what I went to school for. There's a lot of restrictions that you don't need to have like tyrannical parents with high expectations of you to fall into that trap. Uh, you can kind of box yourself in a lot of times. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's not until we've, we've burnt out uh, that we go, wait a minute what am I doing? (laughs) What is all this for? Um, I, I would be interested to hear from people who have, you know, gone like slogged through the this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And without burning out came to the realization that Oh, I just am not happy. And I think I've hit the point where I've made enough money. So I'm going to switch careers. I, 
I'm curious if that ever happens, if it's ever like a, well, I've just reached this stage and I have X amount of my savings and I think I'm going to start that company that I've always wanted to do <laughs> rather than, you know, ha- completely falling apart and being like, why am I miserable? Oh, right. Okay. Maybe I don't have to do this anymore. Right. I think that was one of my main takeaways from the book is that there's no one size fits all answer. So it's quite difficult to write a book about work because of that <laughs> very fact. But so what I thought you did so well was just making sure that anyone reading does ask those important questions, which really do boil down to what do I want to be spending my time on? Yeah, I mean, that's why the book is so long. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be over 300 pages, but it just once once I started going, I think one, I'm an overwriter. I know this about myself. And then it was just kind of like, there's so much. There's so much to address. And even then, I would love to be able to write it again and interview even more people and get more points of view because it is so different for everyone. And I think the the kind of common thread between a lot of it and a lot of the really difficult working situations is being able to kind of identify, is this in my control? Is this not in my control? Is this your stuff or is this my stuff? And how do I actually feel about this? And what are my kind of immediate me- immediate needs <laughs> that I have to I have to take care of that my that my paycheck because work is money as well. And I think a lot of people get really uncomfortable talking about that, but it's like the reality is, okay, if you know that you need to meet, make X amount of money every single month, okay, well, then you might have to balance out the kind of joy factor that you get from your work with, okay, I have to hit this kind of financial landmark every single month. Um, It's really complicated. And it's also a really privileged thing to be able to even think about those things. Because if you are just, I need food on the table, if someone tells you like, yes, but what's your why? And like, how do you want to feel in your work? You're probably just going to be like, you know, screw you. That's not, <laughs> that's not where I'm at. So I think it was important to me to try to uh, acknowledge that in this book as well, is that uh, if you are able to think about these things, if you are able to take time off after you've been let go from your job to emotionally heal from that, wonderful. But I also appreciate that you might not be able to. When we spoke to Holly Tucker, she said that this year has been the the biggest boom in new businesses being set up with Companies House that there's ever been. It was record record breaking numbers, and I think that's because finally people had, maybe even if it was just like getting rid of their commute or whatever it was, just they finally had this time to actually reflect. And when all of a sudden you're not going into the office anymore, you realise, oh, I hated that. I was doing it every single day because that was my habit and that was just what I was programmed to do. But actually, I hate it. And so I think we've actually been blessed with this this time. It's maybe going on a little bit long now. So maybe we <laughs> a little bit less but, blessed. With. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but I, I think that if there is any silver lining or any positives to be taken from this time it is that people have had that time to reflect and and realize that there's perhaps something else out there for them absolutely you know i think it's it's hard to accept and i think sometimes hard to think about and to hear that something so disastrous and deadly as a this global pandemic this health crisis actually can have some benefits and positives to it but just like with everything there's light and dark, good and bad, it's a mix. And I, my great hope 
from this time with all of us being locked in <laughs> literally um, with our families. Hopefully you've been able to work from home if you if you have been able to keep your job and you're in a position to do so is to also be able to reevaluate, as you said, what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. And what do we want our lives to look and feel like? Most importantly, what do we want them to feel like? And where is our time and our energy going? Um, Because, my God, I was going through my phone and I was looking at pictures from a year ago, thanks Google Photos. Um, So when we weren't, it's like, I'm at a bar, I'm having a nice time. It was also like, and here is Waterloo Station packed with hundreds, if not thousands of people, all trying to schmush themselves onto the Jubilee line to get into the city. And... I looked at that photo and was like, how? Like, how? Not only is it disgusting that we were so close together and breathing on each other, but mentally, how? Uh, I I don't know how so many of us have been doing that for years, if not decades. Uh, and I hope that more of us kind of reevaluate that and make a change. But most importantly that employers and businesses accommodate for that and go, do you know what? Maybe we don't need to spend all this money with WeWork yeah. or whoever and make expect people to be here at 9.30 in the morning because it's all well and good us going, you know what? This isn't good for my mental health. I don't really want to commute anymore if employers aren't going to meet us halfway. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because it's like I was watching something the other day about it was about New York where a lot of people have been selling up their kind of Manhattan properties and moving out to the suburbs because they mm. now realize that actually they can work from home and maybe because they've had this time off it's like why am I putting myself through this like if there is a possibility to actually live somewhere else maybe this idea we had of going to this amazing like New York lifestyle isn't actually what they wanted it's just what they kind of perceived they wanted based on kind of seeing the media and watching every movie set in New York or sex in the city and they yeah had this vision but actually now people are moving out and i feel like a lot of people that i know now are moving towards like the coast because they're like actually Mm. well i can still commute into london if i need to but actually what do i want from my life like do i want to be in this rat race or do i want to be somewhere that actually is what makes me happier yeah and that that i think that's wonderful i mean we did it we, i mean we're not on the coast but we were already i'm in like a commuter town at the like edges of surrey but really close to to london and we've gone further out into surrey now and uh have green <laughs> there are trees and space and i don't have my neighbors like look like I used to have so many people walk by my front door and then now I'm like, oh, we don't have that anymore. Oh, actually, this is quite nice. Um, I think I I hope that we're able to do that. I Like it makes so much sense. And I think um, being self-employed isn't for everyone as well. And that's the kind of hard part. And that's why I was trying to emphasize like employers really need to meet us halfway because I think uh, being thrown into remote working when you're not ready for it is really hard. And I think that that's why a lot of people are really struggling at the moment. Um, it's a choice to work from home, but you don't always just work from home when you work from home. <laughs> you can go to a cafe, you can go to your friend's house, you can mm-hmm. do things and go to clubs and, and maybe not like, you know, dancing clubs, like yeah. working clubs. Um, 
And without all of those factors, I don't know. I don't think people are getting an accurate representation of what working from home is actually like. So I think wonderful that people are setting up businesses. But I also hope that those who are like, no, I actually really would like to still go to an office like three times a week and just have the option to work from home two times are able to do so. So on that note, how how do you work from home without losing your mind? <laughs> God. Well, I think it's always borderline anyway, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's always a bit touch and go. Um, but I think, I mean, at the beginning of lockdown, there were a lot of articles, and I'm sure we've all kind of seen them, where it's like, make sure you get fresh air, take a walk, have a routine. Um, and those things are boring, but true. Um, but I think a lot of it, crucially kind of has to come down to what it is that your body and mind actually need versus what you've read on Instagram where people are like, this is the way that you work from home. Some people, I think Emma Gannon was saying that she doesn't have a routine and that's fine. I interviewed um, Rebecca Vincent, the tattoo artist. She also was like, I don't have a routine. Also fine. Um, I think you really have to listen to what it is that Like, how do you work best? What are the hours of the day that you are actually productive? It's like when I was writing this book, thanks to like advice from Elizabeth Gilbert from um, her her podcast and book, Big Magic, it's like, why would I chain myself to my desk from nine to five? Because those are the proper working hours. When I personally know, you know, like nine to 11, I'm good. 12 to 4 not so much but in like 4 to 6 also very good and I and I know that now so I would rather just do that and get on with walking my dog whatever else in those other hours than trying to force it so I think really kind of understanding your own work patterns um and how you sabotage yourself also (laughs) uh, on both ends of it are really important to be able to kind of work from home effectively and also knowing the differences between working from home as a self-employed freelance person versus working remotely for an employer because those things are and those experiences are very different so kate i'm excited to ask you um what is a hashtag girl boss (laughs) (laughs) a hashtag girl boss well if or or hashtag boss babe (laughs) um well there is there is a book literally of that name that came out uh 2013 i believe so kind of around 2013, 2014, around that time, um, you had a lot of books, including Girl Boss and Lean In. Um, and there was like this culture shift where kind of entrepreneurial feminism was very marketable. And, at, you know, a lot of it was positive. Yes, that's fantastic that we should be encouraging women to be their own boss, set up their own businesses. That's important. And I think inspired a lot of women to maybe think differently about their career trajectory and maybe what they wanted. The problem is, is it was just kind of like making feminism and female ambition palatable by making it, you know, millennial pink and um, putting it on a t-shirt or a laptop sticker or a pen and it there's this just like this weird capitalism and feminism mixture that just didn't quite work or ring true <laughs> and now upon reflection a lot of a lot of people are like you know that whole era that way of working this idea that you kind of 
constantly have to be hustling and posting about it on Instagram and that, you know, nearly putting yourself into burnout territory is somehow a bit glamorized and just the whole like 24 seven hustle kind of very American way of being, living, working on a, a thin blonde woman posting, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, it just, it, it isn't representative of lots of working women. It's not how lots of people should be working. It's not good for mental health. And I, you know, if something is capitalist, it can't also be feminist. Those things are at odds with each other. So yeah. it's just a mess. <laughs> and it's a, it's a mentality and a way of working that I'm glad is no longer in in fashion i don't think anymore because it's yeah. really destructive and not kind of supportive it's not intersectional it's not it's not achievable or realistic either when um girl boss came out in 2013 um i actually bought a copy for yona uh, i bought so I like, it well, you're a girl <laughs> and you're a boss um and she just rolled her eyes and was like and i like i mean she she obviously didn't just dismiss it straight away but she she was very clearly like, I don't relate to this. This is, I don't think this is for me. Mm. Uh, firstly, she, I, firstly, she's got a real problem with that um, girl's company being called Nasty Gal. Yeah. She's just like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a nasty gal. <laughs> I don't identify um, with that. <laughs> this doesn't, this doesn't speak to me. Um, but yeah, she was very much like, this is, this has been wrapped up. She's like, I'm not a girl boss. I'm just a boss. Like, yeah. this is not, this has all been wrapped up to make, to make it for women, and it doesn't really need to be it can no. just be like let's all just be absolutely yeah it's um and that, i mean honestly that's a, a big part of why i wanted to write this book and how i kind of positioned it is that it's not for girl bosses <laughs> nasty gals whatever that's fine if that's how you identify and you know okay that is totally fine but i think that there's a lot positioned for women like that or um, people who want to be CEOs and want to run their own company and the whole hustle culture. There's plenty of books out there for you. There's less books. I think very few books actually for people who are just like, you know what, I'm just having a hard time and I would like to be able to function and just go to work without it being horrible. There's that. And then also, you know, I'm not super ambitious. I maybe don't want to be a CEO. I'm okay with like middle management. That's also fine. How do I do that without losing my mind? Or even, you know what? I just want to show up to work and then do my own thing afterwards. And for all of those things to be acceptable, <laughs> like I just wanted something that was practical and helpful for people who didn't necessarily uh, identify with being a, a high achieving boss lady. You mentioned sort of the, the burnout culture the hustle culture there and it's something that i like very much on this show we are advocates for fucking hard work mm. um because everything that you do has to be paid for somewhere mm. and that that if, if you really do want a creative career like you have to understand that it's not a walk in the park and it does it, it definitely does require absolute graft yeah. um but i thought that you dealt really well in the book with with the subject of burnout um and it, and again i suppose it does come down to awareness because when you were talking to uh, i mean predominantly women but when you were talking to these women a lot of them didn't realize that they were burned out 
um and it, it that was it was only something that they sort of uh, the realization only came later yeah and that's why it's a it's a sneaky bastard <laughs> burnout <laughs> it um and it it because it looks different and it feels different for everybody and i and i say in the book that it exists on a spectrum and i think that it's wonderful that the the phrase um has been popularized and people uh know what it means in the context of work now and i think i write in the book about how it's you know been identified by x amount of universities or people and organizations as being a a real thing uh however (laughs) like labor and birthing children is depicted on television as being a very specific kind of process and always looks the same. Uh, It's the same with burnout. I think we always think that it has to be uh, like really strung out, uh, exhausted. Like when you hear about celebrities who are like, I toured too much and now I'm exhausted and I have this doctor's note and I'm on an IV. Like that's not necessarily what burnout looks like. for me, I don't even use the word burnout for myself and what I experienced, but I know I had some very specific, very weird physical symptoms and like mental exhaustion while still going to work and working really hard and and thinking that, uh, you know, doing a good job is more important than anything else. Um, other people, you know, had, you know, panic attacks and then would go into a meeting five minutes later some people were fine and then the minute they stopped is when they realized like oh my body and my mind are falling apart perhaps i need to address this um it looks and feels different for so many people and that's i think that makes it even harder to identify and i think particularly with there's something about the way that women of kind of around my age so i'm 35 i'm what i call an elder millennial um that we don't know where the line is uh like in the movie babe when he goes that'll do pig like we don't have that (laughs) that sort of internal that'll do like you're done you don't need to work so hard anymore Or, or this is this is a line of if you work past this, you're going to get yourself into some real physical and and mental trouble. Uh, I think that somewhere between girl bossing it and girl power and all that, we've just don't know where that is sometimes. And I think that that's happened to so many of us. You're listening to Creative Rebels, the podcast for creatives. If you're enjoying this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can. Do you think gender inequality has led towards that of people feeling like they have to work harder, they have to do more? And like with the media, I feel like, and I think David's mentioned before, like women, there's so much more pressure for them to be perfect in every single way hmm. instead of just living a, a normal life. Yeah. And like when we spoke to Yomi as well, like being a person of color, like she was always told, you're going to have to work harder to just get up to the base level. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. It's um, if you are a a white woman or you appear to be white like myself, um, you have it one way. And then any any sort of if you're a woman of color, if you have a neuro difference, if you are not if you have a disability, you, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. And your pay is less and less and less equal. <laughs> and then your experience of work 
and of your career is going to be different. And that's, that's unfortunately how it is. And I think that very much uh, contributes to, you know, if you need to, you're going to need to work twice as hard as your white counterpart, your white male counterpart. And that very much informs this sort of perhaps not knowing when enough is enough, because no matter how hard you work, the system is what it is. The glass ceiling is what it is. And so until you, there's this idea, I think of until you kind of break the glass ceiling or have, you know, achieved X, Y, and Z, or have pushed yourself to an absolute breaking point that we feel that we can always give more. And I think, I think there's a tenacity and a strong motivation there just to keep going, which is wonderful, but also really detrimental to our our mental and physical health. And regarding burnout, obviously, a lot of people will go through it all the time and not even realize that they're they're experiencing. Yes. Is there any kind of signs or ways to kind of identify whether you are experiencing burnout currently? Yeah, I think, um, well, I think to be honest, right now, we're probably all experiencing <laughs> a level of it, um, unfortunately. Um, but let's say in, in normal times, <laughs> um, it's it sounds really cheesy, but I think having a, a clear understanding and self-awareness of the connection between your body and mind. So... Rather than just, I mean, we've, we've all, I'm sure everyone on this, on this call has done this, but where you're just working, shoving something in your face to get some nutrients and then going to sleep and then waking up early and doing it again and again and again and again. And you, your brain and your body feel completely disconnected from, from each other. And you might have these, oh, my neck is a bit, you know, I have this tension here, but you don't really think about it. And then suddenly you're finding it hard to like walk <laughs> or bend over and you're like, hmm, what is this uh, universal pain that I'm experiencing? It, I, For me, learning to actually listen and pay attention to, okay, the six week eye twitch, perhaps that's a, that's a thing. Like <laughs> what, that doesn't just happen and that's not necessarily just kind of normal, like why is that there? Um, I think if, for me, that's the kind of the real test of how you are doing is, are you taking care of like the basics that you know you need? Sleep, water, food, downtime. But then equally, how are you like literally feeling? I think if we stop and we listen to how our bodies are actually feeling and how we are feeling mentally that that is a, a that is the indicator of are, are you tired because even if you're not if you even if you don't feel comfortable being like i'm burnt out are you really tired are you sad are you grieving like what it doesn't have to be burnout because burnout is just a catch-all for a lot of these different yeah. things you know um i suppose one tool for that could be because you suggest it in the book for 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 something else but writing down how you're feeling um it kind of makes it real 
Um, because the the example mm. that you give is is if you start if you think that maybe you're being bullied or treated unfairly at work, then by writing it down, then you have this account of what's actually happened, and then you can look at all those seemingly innocuous things that, that build up over time and actually start to realise no, there is a case here, and I'm I am being gaslit, and I'm I'm not actually making this all mm-hmm. up myself. Um, or alternatively, I suppose you could write those situations down and go, oh, maybe I didn't behave properly because there's always that kind of side of things but yeah i guess with the with the writing down of stuff that would also allow you to realize how things are really making you feel rather than just kind of we we move so quickly on don't we onto the onto the next project or the next client or whatever obstacle is in front of us and work has sort of just become this there's there's it's a never-ending checklist that just just keeps on going um we're not even like what are we achieving what's the end goal it's just there isn't one it's just like just keep producing um so maybe yeah maybe by writing it down we can actually sort of start to record these things and and spot them sooner yeah i'm a i'm a big fan of a list i'm a big fan of journaling i'm a big fan of even just doing what i call like a brain dump where you're just like these are all the things in my mind and doesn't need to make sense it doesn't need to be like a cute bullet point list um just get the stuff that's circling around your head down on paper but um yeah absolutely like documenting your kind of crappy work situations is one way of processing it and just kind of seeing like in black and white like you know am i the asshole or is it them (laughs) and then uh particularly like as you say with with feelings of burnout i think being able to just check in with yourself and in whatever form works best for you. For me, for me, it's writing it down it, or talking to my therapist. For you, it might be, you know, going for a walk, having a chat with a friend and just being like, oh, God, yeah, this is actually really tough right now. Okay, maybe I need to spend some time assessing what's what's going on and, and what the impact that's actually having on me and, and, and my relationships. Yeah, I think that idea of getting it out is just super important. Because I'm just thinking, like, if I've ever been burnt out in the past and stuff, and it's like, you just kind of, like, bottle it away, and it just kind mm. of, like, bubbles in there. And then, like, you find as soon as you actually say the words to someone else, that's when all the emotion comes out with it. Because it's just like, oh, my God, I've actually said it, which means it's actually real, which means yeah. now I have to kind of combat it. And, yeah, it's a real kind of, like, just by getting it out, suddenly makes everything else start to heal and like head towards a better place yeah our brains are really good at hiding stuff from ourselves <laughs> subconsciously we know subconsciously it's there but it's you know i'm too busy i'm too busy yeah. to deal with that i have too much stuff to do i can be tired later i'll sleep when i'm dead that whole thing and actually it's like well or you could kind of deal with it <laughs> process <laughs> yeah. it a bit and that could give you a little bit more energy eventually and kind of alleviate some of this that you're just carrying around it's uh as you say i think getting it out in the open brings puts it in the light and then you can't ignore it anymore so i think uh that's a that's a good reason we don't do it sometimes because then it's like well you know shit now i have to do the work to do something about that and i'm busy and i don't have time yeah i mean so much of what you talk about is is about relationships and i don't know what your what your plan for your next book is but i mean i reckon you could probably write a pretty killer uh, relationship um guidebook because just through everything that you were talking about so much of of work is around understanding what other people need 
and for me and Adam, and and I I feel because there's there's a lot of this sort of like image of the manager or the boss, of yes. and that they're, they're this yeah. big scary evil corporation person, and like Adam and I, we are the boss in our businesses and like that's not really a position that we ever thought about that we ever had any training for that we ever wanted um and it's just sort of thrust upon us and so much of that just comes down to relationships and i'm sure that there's people who've left our companies because of me and adam because they say that you don't you don't leave a company you leave you leave your boss don't don't you and that's that's probably true but it's 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 relationships it's working out what yeah. people need yeah and and as you say the position that you guys have found yourself in from from founding your own company and then also then becoming a boss that is not too dissimilar from people who are good at their jobs in a, in a corporation and then get promoted and they go and as a reward here's your team of 10 people congratulations no we're not going to give you any training we're not going to tell you uh, how to actually deal with this on a practical level and an emotional level but best of luck congratulations good night you know it's <laughs> it i i mean i ended up starting i started managing people when i was 19 years old working at a starbucks in a mall in sacramento california and actually they had the best management training i've ever experienced it was like intensive and on purpose and was focused on relationships and about how you you have to treat people differently there people have different needs from a manager and it is up to you to adjust your management style to their needs and where you can identify that there are opportunities for them to grow within their role um which is hard (laughs) It's not easy, but I think if it, if everyone who was presented with a potential promotion that also included running a team, and they're also like, by the way, it's really difficult and exhausting, and it's going to maybe break you on a few occasions, but here you go, best of luck, you know? <laughs> I think if we all knew how hard it is to manage, I think more people would not do it, which is a good thing, because we're not all suited to be managers. Um but it, yeah, it's it's difficult. But I think also having the self awareness to go, I think I really messed that messed that up, and they must be quitting because we don't really get on that well. That's a good thing to realize, and that's and that's okay. You know, just not everyone, not everyone is a terrible a terrible manager just because somebody quits. But as you say, it does come down down to relationships for sure. So is there anywhere that you know of that you can go to learn how to be a better manager? Because if your company's not providing it for you and you find yourself in this situation where now I'm managing a team of people and I don't know what to do and my work, my business aren't providing me that training, is there any kind of good online tools or anything people can use to, to be better at managing? Yeah, I think firstly, your first protocol should try to be, it's, it depends on where you work, it's difficult. I, I mean, I think I, there's a story in, in my chapter about being a better manager where somebody, you know, went through all of this, uh, they took all this initiative to, within their own company, identify uh, which courses they would be able to take or what was available to them, and then went through the whole thing, and then they were told by HR, oh, actually, your your department doesn't pay for that, so that's not available to you. So sometimes you can do all the research in the world within your own company to try yeah. to figure it out yourself, and that might not work, and then that's up to you to kind of decide 
cool, do I want to stay somewhere where they don't support young managers or new managers or even, you know, people who have been managing for a long time and just want a refresher. Um, outside of that, I think actually there are, there are a lot of good books <laughs> about management. Um, I think it really depends on what it is that you're, that you're after. I think with, unfortunately, I, I don't have like a, an immediate, ah, yes, go to, go to yeah. these people. Um, because I think it really depends on what it is that you feel like you're needing to work on. Is yeah. it that you're having a hard time communicating and kind of having that sort of leadership mentality when when you're speaking up do you need to read like Viv Groskup's book how to own the room it kind of depends I think on on what you feel like you're not yeah doing or are struggling with and then kind of honing in on it that way um I think it's it's a lot to ask people to then be like fund your own management training (laughs) but I think that there are a lot of like books podcasts um and probably just people that you can talk to um, within your organization or outside of your organization that you can find on social media who might you know be willing to go on a Zoom call or maybe one day get a coffee in real life. They can kind of talk to you about those specific things that you feel like you might be lacking in. Yeah, because as soon as you've got that self-awareness of knowing this is something that I need to get better at, um, then, then, you, yeah. Yeah, then you can go out and make it happen. Um, on on the topic of self awareness, I um, heard you talking about the five year plan, and obviously mm. I've heard five year plan a million times, but you yep, me too. <laughs> you said it in a way that I'd never thought of before, which was um, to incorporate writing your obituary. Yeah, yeah. I was on a, a it was called Search Inside Yourself. <laughs> it was a course that I took. Uh, through Google because I was like peak having a really, really difficult time. Um, and it basically is about like uh, meditation and, and self-awareness and mindfulness kind of within the, the realms of work. Um, and they told us of the story of a woman um, named Roz Savage. It might be Sauvage, but I just like her name, Roz Savage. I think that sounds cooler. Um, who basically did this exercise where she was like, okay, I'm going to write my obituary as it would be today if I sadly passed away today. And do I like how it sounds? And she didn't like how it sounded. And then she ended up like quitting her job and then like rowing across three oceans and has like, <laughs> like Guinness World Records. It's incredible. But you, you don't need to do that. Um, when I did this exercise, it was basically like, okay, write Think about what your obituary might be like today. And then instead of writing your obituary how you would like for it to be in the future, journal for two to three minutes about what you would like your life to be in five years time. So at the time, I think I was uh, 32 and it was like, think about what you would like your life to be at 37. Um, And I was like, okay, fine, I guess. And I did that. And it completely kind of blew me away because <laughs> I had I was always very against long term plans and kind of cliched things like once year five year plan and I'm like oh, I don't have time for that. Um, but actually having to think about okay me thirty seven years old 
right now I'm flipping miserable. So what do I hope to be different in five years time? And, you know, you just write without thinking for two to three minutes, whatever pops up. And then some guy in the class was like, yeah, so I realized like, if we want to be doing this, like really doing this, we have to be working on it like right now. And I was like, my mind just like exploded. I was like, oh my God, I have so many things that I need to, to get started on right away. But um, yeah, I think approaching it from a more, um, I don't know, in a more simple way, I think it's easier to kind of go, okay, me, 37, five years in the future. Like, what do, what do I kind of think rather than, you know, sitting down and like, right, I'm going to plan out the next five years. Yeah. It's, I think it's approaching it from like a different end that makes it powerful. I think as well, if you're doing that, I think it's really important to think of not just where you picture yourself and the physical things. It's the emotional things too of like yeah. how you would be feeling whilst yeah. doing all of those different things too. So I think Absolutely. it's easy to make this vision board of, oh, I want this house and this car and just these items. But if the feeling isn't there attached to it, it's like, and then ask yourself why you want each of these as well. Because again, kind of back to what we were talking about earlier, do you want it because you want it? Or do you want it because you think that's what you should be doing at that stage of your life? Yeah, the the how how you want to feel. How do you want to feel in five years? And what would make you feel that way is, is a nice approach to it as well, for sure. Because it's important. And, and the obituary, no yeah. one's going to say, oh, he had a really, really great house. That he has to pay like capital gains tax on. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so powerful. And I, I've been, we've spoken before about my word for the year is, is legacy this year. And, and that, that totally comes, uh, comes together with, and the year before it was impact. So, um, and I think those are, those two are like both, they, they could be the same thing, really. I mean, I haven't really changed from, from, for the past two years, but, really thinking about what what you're leaving behind is um was so powerful for me and it was such a, a reframing of that of that thought to just think like rather than where am i going what am i going to leave behind so that that does really inform where you're going because wherever you're going is leaving your legacy that you're then leaving behind for people so yeah it's really powerful for me i think it's easy to age and not realize that you're aging <laughs> like ah. Uh future me will have this thing or future me will worry about that goal oh maybe i'll write a book you know later then you know that person yeah. that me future me will take care of that stuff without realizing that every single decision you make every project you take every person you meet for coffee that all kind of all of that stuff matters not to get too like existential about it but like all of that stuff matters and if you're unaware of where you want to be, ultimately kind of where you're going, ultimately what it is that you want, It's it can be kind of directionless and the years can kind of go by and you can be kind of miserable and never really be able to put your finger on, on why that is if you don't mm. kind of have at least some semblance of a, oh, it's because we're working towards that mm. thing. And, it, and it's okay if you don't go, I don't know what my calling is like that's not what it's about it's more so like even if it's just a feeling of I want to be able to go to bed at night knowing that uh, the work that I've done has helped people 
even just within your own organization, even if you just want to be a really good mentor or something, you know, that that feeling is so important and it's so uh, vital to listen to. I think even just going to bed and thinking like, I'm looking forward to waking up tomorrow is an important mm. thing that I feel like so many people won't have, especially if they're in jobs they dislike. And it's like, oh, I don't want to go to bed now because I've got to get up in the morning and go and do this thing that I don't want to be doing. It's like just having that as a vision of like, if I can wake up or go to bed thinking, I can't wait to wake up tomorrow. I feel like that is just such a, a brilliant goal to have. Yeah, because even if it's not your job that's getting you out of bed, yeah, even if you go, something. Oh, my job sucks, but I'm still looking forward to tomorrow because it means that I get to do this thing or oh, my kids have this thing going on or, oh, yeah, I'm going to play. I have a gig later that night. Yeah, great. You know, having being able to look at your life as a whole, your time, your energy as a whole and go how how much of work my job needs to kind of take up, like how many burners on the on the, the stove does this need to take up, you know? It's understanding the balance that's right for you so that you can go to bed and go, oh, sweet. Yeah, I got the meeting tomorrow, but I have this, these other cool things that are happening that I'm really excited yeah. about. On that note, there's a question that we get asked quite a lot. And so often we'll get a question through and it's like, I know I can nail that. I know I can give you practical advice for that and it's going to really help you. One question I really struggle mm. with is I'm working this job that I don't enjoy. And when I get home... yeah. I feel like I should be working on the thing that I actually care about, the thing that does energize me, but my day job saps so much life from me that I then don't do any work on the thing that I really want to be doing when I get home. And therefore um, I start feeling guilty because I'm not working on the thing that I should be doing. Please help. And I do have an answer for that, yeah. but I don't, I, I would really be interested to to hear your take on it. Yeah that that's hard and I've done it <laughs> and then you're also not sleeping because you're busy just laying there going oh, yeah. you suck you didn't do this thing um uh for me it comes back to energy and back to allowing yourself to only put in x amount of energy into your job I think if what you really want to be doing, okay, you need this job to pay your bills, and that's important, but then you also know that you're quite passionate and excited about this thing over here, and this area, this job is sucking up all of your energy, so it means that you're not able to do, the, to do this thing, you are ultimately in charge of your energy. What it is, What is it that you can do? And it might be, maybe you can talk to your boss about reducing some hours or reducing some workload or something along those lines, or more than likely, it can be that you go, do you know what? I'm giving 110% at this job. And I really don't think anyone's going to notice if I just like take my foot off the gas and go down to like 75%, 50%. Yeah. Like, and then you have more headspace and go, cool. I was able to do some bits on my lunch break for this other side project that I'm doing. And... I'm home now and I have 25% more energy than I had before because I stopped caring so much <laughs> about about my other job and I can put it here. And that's totally fine. I think like 
we like who cares i bet you no one is gonna notice actually that you've dropped down to just give it 75 percent. as long as you're delivering stuff on time as long as you're showing up to the meetings that you're supposed to be in and do enough of like unmuting yourself and going yeah totally agree tom thanks very much for that like who is gonna know <laughs> so i think that that out of self-preservation uh keeping yourself like sane and happy and mentally balanced fine do whatever it is that you need to do with kind of taking energy where you can get it back if people aren't gonna give it to you or work with you on reducing your workload do what you gotta do you know i think it you can control it it's just kind of scary sometimes 100 percent. boom thank you so much um this has been amazing as always um second time on the show just as good as the first thank you so much um where can people find you online so uh my website is katesevia.com and i am on twitter and instagram as at katesevia and where can people find out about the book katesevia.com forward slash book um it's available waterstones bookshop.org uh amazon pretty much anywhere that you would want to buy it it's there it's very good (laughs) and it's good please buy it (laughs) 